Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. All right, well, today we're going to finish chapter four of Revelation and do part two of angels. And today we're going to talk about some very interesting angels, the four living creatures. If you want to, you can turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter four. And my Bible and glasses are back there. I need to go get those. <laughs> have you ever wondered about those four living creatures? I mean, uh, they have four faces. They've, they've got four wings. They're very interesting creatures for sure. Yeah, and they go along with Ezekiel because Ezekiel talks about seeing these guys as well. And they have... Below them, wheels within wheels. You ever wondered about those? You ever read about the wheels within wheels in Ezekiel? Some people say they're UFOs. You know, they, they fly, but we're going to talk about that today. It's pretty interesting. And so this morning, we're going to finish our look at angels around the throne of God. Remember last week, we found out that there are guardian angels. And the angel of the Lord encamps round about those who fear him. And as Christians, we don't fear anything but God, right? Don't fear death. We don't fear cancer. We don't fear sickness, uh, joblessness, nothing. We fear nothing but God himself. Last week, we also uh, discussed and someone asked me, you know, Pastor Brett, why do we pray that mighty angels would go before someone when they travel? Do you guys ever pray that? Lord, I pray that you would dispatch angels in front and be their rear guard and all of that. Well, it's really a biblical thing to do. Exodus chapter 23, verse 20 says, Behold, I'm going to send the angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I prepared. It's really interesting that the Bible talks about angels so much, and yet so many Christians are unaware of who they are or what they do. Psalm 91.11 says, For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. You ever fathom that or consider that angels are around us and guarding us as we go about our day? Angels are ministering spirits, we found out, to those who inherit salvation, to Christians. When you become a child of God and children before the age of accountability and probably even people that don't know the Lord, that will know the Lord, God guards them till they get there. We also uh, discovered that the 24 elders in heaven are actually a celestial council and they even ordained the law and we read about all of that. Hey, Kathy, God bless you. Good to see you. In fact, Jesus said, Luke 12, verse 8, I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him also before the angels of God. Think about that. He goes on to say, but he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Angels are important and it's, it's good to study them. There's archangels. Which one do we know is an archangel for sure? Michael the archangel. Gabriel, we figure is. Uh, the Apocrypha talks about seven archangels. Raphael and, and there's others, but they're not in our Bible. Cherubim, remember, they're the cute little baby angels. 
Oh, no, we're going to talk about them. Those are the mighty angels. They actually guard the Garden of Eden. Mighty angels, seraphim, which have six wings, and watchers, the divine court or assembly or council of 24 elders that we read about last week, and the four living beings or creatures that we're going to talk about today and the seven spirits around the throne of God. So there's a lot of angels. These four living creatures, though, are unique. There are four living beings, and in Revelation chapter 4, starting at verse 6b, that's the second part of verse 6, it says, And around the throne and each side of the throne are four living creatures or beings, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature is like a lion. The second creature like a calf, or King James says ox. The third living creature like the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. So these guys sound pretty weird. I don't know about you, but if you picture eyes all around <laughs> and they look like a, a lion, why a lion? Why a calf or an ox? Why a man and why an eagle in flight? We're going to talk about that. And Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel had a, a vision of God's throne and he saw them as well. Chapter 1, verse 10. As for the form of their faces, each had a face of a man. All four had a face of a lion on the right and the face of a bull on the left. And all four had the face of an eagle. Same creatures. And such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above, two uh, touching another being and two covering their bodies. So four wings, just like the ones in Revelation. Verse 5 of Ezekiel chapter 1. And within it there were figures resembling four living beings. And this was their appearance. They had human form. All right, so we know angels have human form, right? When they appear, in fact, we entertain angels. We found out last week unaware. Each of them had four faces and four wings. That sounds kind of grotesque, doesn't it? I mean, have you ever think about four faces? And it's like, what? What? What's he talking about? And their legs were straight and their feet were like calves hooves and they gleamed like burnished bronze. Who else in heaven has skin like burnished bronze? The Father God and the Lord Jesus, both of them, okay? All right, verse 8. Under their wings, on their four sides, were human hands, so they had arms as well as wings. As, their, as for the faces and the wings of the four of them, their wings touched one another. Their faces did not turn when they moved. Each went straight forward. I want you to think about that for a second. Who knows what metal that is? Russ, what do you think? You work on engines? Okay, just think about that metal and that crystal behind it. Ezekiel 1.14, And the living beings ran to and fro like bolts of lightning. These guys are fast. You ever, what's that uh, Marvel hero, the Flash? Yeah, remember how fast he was? These guys are faster. Verse 15, And now as I looked at the living beings, behold, there was one wheel on the earth beside the living beings and each of the four, each of, the four of them. So there's four wheels and the appearance of the wheels and their workmanship was like sparkling burl. And all four of them had the same form, their appearance and workmanship being as if one wheel were within another. Are you picturing that? Okay, beryllium is a metal used to make gyroscopes. It's used in fighter jets, helicopters, space vehicles, rockets, all of that. 
Now, it, these wheels look like beryllium, and they're wheels within a wheels. Note this, Ezekiel 116, the appearance of the wheels and the workmanship was like sparkling beryl. And I'm just saying beryllium because we get beryllium from beryl. And all four of them had the same form, their appearance workmanship being as if one wheel were within another wheel. That's modern physics in the Bible. I really believe, now note this, this is crazy, verse 117 again. Whenever they moved, they moved in any of their four directions without turning as they moved. What do we know about gyroscopes? What say you, Bob? <laughs> yes, so, so and, and we're gonna watch a little video. As for their rims, they were lofty and awesome and the rims of all four of them were full of eyes round about and whenever the living living beings moved the wheels moved with them and whenever the living beings rose from the earth they flew the wheels also rose okay so really interesting sounds like a gyroscope and gyroscopes is vitally needed instrument in uh, aircraft especially in space when spinning, they stay aligned, facing only one direction, even as the plane or anything else turns, the gyroscope does not turn. Now, I want you to consider this. Remember he said the living beings, they face one direction, even when they turn, they don't turn. Are you with me? Okay, so it's pretty cool. We, we gotta watch this video. This guy, don't you like professor, physics professors? How many of you liked physics when you were in high school? All right. Let's see if we can pull it up. Oh, it's on my screen. It's not on your screen. <laughs> okay. And it won't go over on your screen. Oh, no. Oh, there it goes. It's coming. All right. Our internet is so slow here. Any, any of you have slow internet at home? It worked perfect. This, oh, here we go. Here we go. Okay, now this is a wheel within two, a wheel within wheels. Are you with me? Now watch once he gets this spinning. Even as he turns, see that doesn't turn. It always faces forward. Now, what's, what's cool and why I'm bringing all this up, it's, I think it is fascinating. Hold on. Oh, here we go. I'm back. 
All right. The Inter- International Space Station has, guess, get this, four gyros to maintain its uh, direction and uh, fixed orientation. And the gyros can actually move the space station. The Hubble telescope has gyros as well. Guess how they pointed at different stars? With the gyroscopes in it. Yet they move, but they still face only one direction, Ezekiel 117. Whenever they move, they moved in any of their four directions, that's the four points of the compass, without turning as they moved, like we saw the gyroscope right there. Isn't it cool that physics is in the Bible long before we knew about this? Now, uh, I already talked about that. So, so God's throne is above them, Ezekiel 126. Now, above the expanse, that was over their heads, speaking of the four living creatures, was something resembling a throne, like lapis luzul in appearance. And on that, oh yeah, lazul in appearance, and on that which resembled a throne high up was a figure with the appearance of a man. Who was that? God the Father, right, seated on the throne. Daniel 7, 9, get this. God's throne, remember when we talked about it, it has wheels? Guess what those wheels are? The wheels of the cherubim in Ezekiel. Daniel 7, 9, I kept looking until thrones were set up, the 24 elders, and the Ancient of Days, God the Father, took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels, and I believe that's Ezekiel's wheels, were a burning fire in appearance. And we know that that is God's vehicle. Now, I know this sounds crazy, but it's true. God rides on those cherubim, the four living creatures that have the gyroscopes that allow him to navigate and turn. Second Samuel 22, 7, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. Yes, I cried to my God. And from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry for help went to his ears. And he rode on a cherub. They have those gyroscopes. They can fly. And flew, and he appeared on the wings of the wind. All right, so why are we talking about all this? Psalm 18.10 says, He rode on a cherub and flew, and he sped upon the wings of the wind. Uh, So back to uh, Revelation. These guys are under the throne of God, these four living creatures. And his throne, the wheels, are the wheels that they maintain, which is kind of interesting. Back to Revelation 4. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, beings full of eyes in front and behind. We're going to talk about that. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like a calf. Uh, The third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature uh, like an eagle in flight. Ezekiel 10, 12 talks about him again with eyes all around. uh, And the wheels even have eyes all around belonging to all four of them. And the wheels uh, were called in my hearing the whirling wheels. Okay, like a gyroscope, right? Okay, really, I think it's so cool. Each of them had four faces, cherub, like that of a man, like that of a lion, that of an eagle. And we're going to talk about these. And the cherub rose up. They are the living beings that I saw by the river Chabar. And the living beings are the ones in Revelation chapter 4 that have spinning wheels, whirling wheels like gyroscope, and the throne of God is right above them. So they're the navigators for the throne. Why would God need that? Why did he send a chariot of fire to get Elijah? 
You ever consider that? Hmm. These uh, living creatures, one of them will give the seven angels the bowls of wrath, Revelation 15, 7. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. So these four living creatures, there are four angels. One's like a lion, face like a lion. One has a face like a calf. One has a face like an evil. One has a face like a human. And the first thing we need to ask ourselves, why these four creatures? Okay, I believe it is symbolic and they don't literally have a face like a lion or a calf or all of that. But there is a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation. In fact, in chapter five, we'll read that Jesus has seven horns and seven eyes. Does he really have horns and eyes? Oh, no, it's allegorical. It's metaphorical. But a lion's known to be what? Hey, king of the jungle, king of the uh, animal kingdom. The eagle's known to be what? How about king of the birds, king of the heavens, king of the, the, the most majestic bird out there? What about a bull, king of the domesticated animals? What about a human, king of the entire material creation? So each of these animals represent maybe the highest form of that representative animal kingdom. In the four living creatures, we have four representatives, literally of all creation. They worship God, Revelation 5.8, and then when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Revelation 5.14, then the four living creatures said, Amen, and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. And even Revelation uh, 19, getting ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. So we have the lion, the calf, the man, and the eagle representing, I believe, what these four living creatures can do. In fact, have you ever called somebody two-faced? What does it mean, that they literally have two faces? Yeah, they're, they're hypocritical, right? Or it could mean they're, they're acting in both modes. This mode and this other mode could be hypocritical. Usually it's used as a negative. Face in the Hebrew can mean mind or presence as well. And so we've already read that they have a form or image like a man. Remember we read that in Ezekiel, just that they have four wings. It could be that they have... Uh, one face like a man or a cherub because angels' faces look like what? Us. Angels look like us. We entertain angels unaware. Michael looks like a man, all of this. So we already read that they have human form, meaning they have a face like us, but the faces could be their mind or presence of mind to fly like an eagle to the sea, Fly like an eagle to the sea. <laughs> Who sings that? Oh, Steve Miller Band. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, or work like a calf or a bull. Hoof like a calf because remember, they could run pretty fast. So they're protected feet wherever they go. And they could fly or fight like a lion. So all of these things are what the angels could do. I don't believe they had four literal faces like some grotesque thing and what about eyes all around what does that represent allegorically it means they can perceive 
everything. They have a perception of everything that's around them. No one can sneak up behind them, right? And we know that these cherub, the, one of the four living creatures probably, or they, there's more cherubs out there, guard the Garden of Eden. Remember that, the tree of life? Nothing can sneak up on them. Even Jesus in chapter 5, uh, John said he had seven eyes when he really doesn't have seven eyes. He has two eyes, okay? So these are allegor- allegories. So the four living creatures are cherubim, and so was Satan. Lucifer was the anointed cherub, Ezekiel twenty-eight fourteen. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. And this is all in context, speaking of Satan. And I place you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. Really interesting. So they guard the tree of life, Genesis 3, 24. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned in every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. And there above the Ark of the Covenant, Exodus 25, 18, you shall make two cherubim of gold and make them hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. And remember, their one face, these are the same as the four living creatures, they're cherubs, face the mercy seat. Okay, so when they're said to have four faces or heads like a lion or eagle, it means that they have the presence of mind to fly like an eagle, to fight like a lion. Yeah, Ezekiel said they had human form. Yep, and they have hands under their wings and, uh, and, and obviously a face. Okay, so now let's talk about the seven spirits. I know we talked about this that stand before the throne of God, Revelation 1.4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who was and who is and who is to come and from the seven spirits or angels who are before the throne of God. Remember, in Hebrews, God said, I make my angels ministering what? Spirits to minister to uh, those that are saved. They are the seven angels that stand before God, Revelation 8, 2. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God. Those are the seven spirits. Probably these are the ones that will blow the trumpets and will pour out the bowls of wrath. And there are seven angels both doing that. I believe they're also the witnesses that witness the seven-sealed document, the, the scroll that we'll get into in Revelation chapter 5 and chapter 6. Remember, each of those seals back in Roman law represented a witness who witnessed the document. I believe it's witnessing title deed to the earth. Who's king of the earth right now? Satan is, yeah. In fact, Christ said, man, I'm going to go and the ruler of this world has nothing to do with me. When he was tempted in the garden, Satan said, man, I'll give you everything if you bow down to me. We live in enemy territory, folks. It's kind of like we need to have that mentality that everything we face in life is a battle. We're in spiritual battle here. That's why we armor up. Revelation 5.1 says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book or scroll written Uh, inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. In Roman law, there was one legal document that required seven witnesses. Now, they had a lot of different legal documents back in Rome in Christ's day. Um, If it's a contract, you only needed two witnesses, and they would seal the contract. But a last testament or will where an heir would 
receive property had to be witnessed by seven males competent of age and legal capacity and the act of writing it must be done in the presence of all at the same place at the same time that is it must be continuous roman law smith's dictionary so uh they would take then the the seal the document and only the rightful heir could break the seals and open the document and this is from uh university of chicago um, and there's the link. So it's kind of cool that in Roman law, it required for uh, a, a legal will, seven witnesses. And they would all seal the document, place their seal, and only the rightful heir could break the seals of the document. We're going to talk about that more next week when we get into chapter 5. So Revelation 4 ends with this. Verse 9. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, really in the Greek it could be yourselves, our Lord Jesus and our God, God the Father, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they exist and were created. The book ends with that, or that chapter ends with that. You, actually, you there as yourselves, both the Father and the Son, uh, literally in the uh, Thayer's lexical, it can be me, yours, yourself, yourselves, or yourselves again. In Matthew 6.20, it's the same word where it says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys nor thieves break in and steal. So Revelation 4.11, it ends with, worthy are you yourselves, our Lord Jesus and our God, God the Father, to receive glory and honor and power for you yourselves created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. Okay. Why is that important? Because Christ created all things. And a lot of people say, well, this is just talking about God the Father, but Christ and the Father are one. They both get glory and honor and praise. Yes, and that's why the seraphim say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, because there's all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were praising both the Father and the Son. Second Timothy and Paul makes, makes it clear, the two of them, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Same kind of verbiage there. And Romans 1, 7, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So Revelation uh, 4 and 5 are what happens in heaven just prior to the 70th week of Daniel. 70th week of Daniel is what again? The last seven years, right? When the Antichrist confirms the covenant with many, that begins it, and it ends at the second coming of Jesus Christ. So we've glimpsed at the throne of God, and Jesus at the right hand of God, and all the angels around the throne. In chapter 5, we'll find that Jesus is rightful heir to the universe, and he'll break the seals on that seven-witness document and take possession of the earth back again. So I believe it's title deed of the earth. All right, so there's sp spiritual battle going on all around us. Do you know that? And we covered the angels 
just to uh, really get a glimpse of that battle and know what we need to do and how to contend. Remember last week we talked about Daniel. For 21 days he prayed, and finally an angel brought the answer to his prayer. But the angel said this, remember, in Daniel 10, 12. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, from, from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and humbling yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. Really interesting, this glimpse into the angelic realm. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Do you think that's spiritual battle in the heavenly realms? Absolutely. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Daniel 10:20. Then he said, do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come, these demonic spirits over these nations. However, I tell you uh, what is inscribed in the writings of truth, yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince, Michael the archangel. That's a pretty interesting glimpse into the spiritual realm. Folks, when we pray, angels are dispatched by God. Prayer works. You know what I'm talking about? That's, oh yeah. No, the Prince of Greece is the demonic spirit over Greece. So it's interesting. Remember in the letters to the seven churches, the one church, it says, I know where you live, where what? Satan's throne is. So, so they have geographic places. They're not omnipresent. Satan's only in one place at one time. Only God, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, is omnipresent. And that's why we need to armor up and fight the good fight. Ephesians 6.13 says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. In Romans 13.17, it says, The night is almost gone. The day is at hand. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on what? The armor of light. Oh, folks, we need to re remember that when we have challenges, more than likely we are facing demonic attack and the only way to fight it is with weapons of spiritual warfare. Okay, 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. For we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to obedience to Christ. And our greatest weapon? Prayer. You know, the sword of the Spirit is great. You know, you, you, when you have God's Word hidden in your heart, every temptation that comes, you know already, usually, man, I'm not going to fall to that. But prayer is important. First Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment, and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. You know, of all the, the things we do as Christians, that's the one most people struggle with the most. A lot of Christians I talk to can't pray. Have you ever talked to somebody that just says, I try to pray and I can't? Okay, uh, do you think there's a spiritual battle going on there? 
You know, almost every time I go to bow my knees in prayer to really travail and spend time in prayer before a holy God, I get interrupted. Phone rings, uh, or all of a sudden I'm bombarded with all these things I have to do. I, I, I go to pray, and then all of a sudden I stop. Prayer takes discipline. Uh, I, I got to tell you, one thing to do is pray through the Psalms. And if you've ever done it, any of you ever pray through Scripture? Okay, it's one of the best ways to stay focused. So, you know, you can just pick a psalm like Psalm 69. I just randomly pick. Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I have sunk in deep mire and there's no foothold. I have come into deep waters and a flood overflows me. Oh, Lord, man. Yeah, sometimes the stresses of life are overwhelming. Man, it feels like a flood. And sometimes the enemy, your word says, comes in like a flood. Lord, I pray that you would encamp warring angels round about me. Protect my kids. Protect my spouse. Protect my church family. You know, pray through scripture. Then go to the next verse. Oh, I'm weary with crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Lord, sometimes it, it takes so long for you to answer a prayer. Prayed through it? Amen. Yeah, no, I, I got to tell you, the other way, take the Lord's Prayer and don't just say it verbatim, but hey, our Father who art in heaven, oh Lord, thank you that you're my dad. You're my heavenly Father. You love me. Hallowed be thy name. Oh, you have the name above all names. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. It's in your name we have power. And you pray through the Lord's Prayer. And the other thing, when we went through Exodus, remember the tabernacle prayer? Hey, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Before you pray, worship God. Spend some time in worship. We need to get our hearts right to be able to pray right. So prayer, it's awesome. Okay, so Christ gave us the model. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We know it, right? So if you redundantly said that every day, not only would you get bored of it, but God would get tired of hearing it. It would be like if you called your spouse and said the exact same thing every time you called them. So God wants us to pray with our heart. It's, it's relational. It's, it's like when your kids talk to you. That's how God wants us to talk to him. You know, even, even the littlest concerns. And for me, I, I have to discipline myself. So remember when I preached a couple of years ago, uh, when you come to a red light or a stop sign, what should you do? Pray. Hey, don't cuss. You know, I'm, I'm late for an appointment. Oh, red light again. Oh, my goodness. No, okay. Ah, Lord, thank you for this red light, even though I'm going to be late. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, I just pray and, and pray a little bit. And then when it turns green, take off. Don't close your eyes and raise your hands, though, because then people honk at you. Boy, you know, it's like, uh, but it should be conversational. But at the same time, awesome, because we have access to the throne of God when we pray. You know, when the disciples couldn't cast out a demon, Jesus said, but this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. 
These disciplines are powerful, Matthew 17, 21. And that's not in a lot of the earlier manuscripts, Matthew 17, 21, but, but it is in reliable manuscripts. So in your Bible, it's probably parenthesized or italicized. So do you have a war room? Remember, ladies, when you guys watched that movie? Okay, uh, folks, I, I, I want to tell you, the biggest lie the enemy feeds Christians is this. Prayers don't do anything. They're not effective. Why pray? Okay, prayers change the mind of God. Throughout the Bible, remember when Moses interceded for the whole nation of Israel. God was going to wipe him out. In fact, he announced, he didn't say, I might do it. He said, I'm going to wipe out the whole nation and you are going to start a new nation. Moses interceded and, and the Bible says God changed his mind. Prayer is effective. Prayer is powerful. And the biggest lie of the enemy is your prayers don't mean anything. Folks, sometimes prayers aren't answered, but a lot of the times they are. So war room, remember Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of darkness. Is that what that angel told Daniel about? Hey, the demon held back the angel for 21 days with the answer to his prayer. And spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And if you like to read fiction, I'm not much of a fiction reader or anything. I, I like science. I like technical stuff and the Bible. That's pretty much what I read. Oh, book. You like the Book of Mormon? Yeah, fiction. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Yeah, the Quran. Um, there's a guy, Frank Peretti. Have you ever heard of this guy? All right. So I read one of his books a long time ago, and it really impacted my prayer life. Okay, uh, Frank Peretti, This Present Darkness, Piercing the Darkness. I know he's written others too. But the thing about this is he shows you what happens in the spiritual realm when you pray. So there was this one pastor of a church, and, and he wasn't a man of prayer, this pastor. And as the church was falling apart and everything was bad, finally he got on his knees and prayed. The minute he did that, God dispatched angels and you know things turned around so it, it it's pretty cool if you like reading fiction you can look at that so we need to be a people of prayer in first thessalonians chapter 5 verses 16 through 22 it says rejoice always that's hard <laughs> but do you do it do you try to do it rejoice always yeah Usually for me, it's something like our water heater breaks. It's like, again, it seems like I just replaced it, you know, and those are heavy. You ever try to replace a water heater by yourself? I've had help a couple of times, but man, I've thrown out my back. It's like, oh, <laughs> uh, Lord, your water heater busted again. You need to fix it, right? Rejoice always. Pray without how much? Ceasing all the time. Man, the Lord so desires us to talk to him to talk to him in prayer both individually and corporately in everything give thanks for this is god's will for you in christ jesus don't quench the spirit do not despise prophetic utterances but examine everything carefully hold fast to that which is good abstain from every form of evil god this morning so wants us to be a people of prayer and after church, third Sunday of the month is when we do our corporate prayer, and that's why I, I would, was pleased to talk about this this morning. James 4.2 says, You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. 
You are envious and cannot not obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you what? Do not ask. Hmm. James 4.3, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So when we pray, it has to be with right motives, right? Amen? And we need to pray. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Folks, the past couple of weeks, we've gazed at the throne of God and we need to realize that glimpse of heaven that John had, that Ezekiel had, that Daniel had, that Isaiah had, when we pray in the Spirit, we are standing before the very throne of God. He hears your prayers. Where's the temple of the Holy Spirit right now? It's right here. So if our prayers can go from our head to our heart, we've reached God. That's not a long distance to go. Satan and all his fallen angels tremble when you get on your knees to pray. It is powerful, it is amazing, and God desires it. And we pray in the name of Jesus, the name above all names, that powerful name. Amen. Sand restores my soul, satisfies my Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve Him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week. Satisfies my needs